This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, April 17th, 2023. I'm Kyle Kellams. I'm Matthew Moore. This is 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. Ahead this hour, an encore broadcast of a collection of Prior Center archives. We'll hear again when Randy Dixon with the Prior Center introduces us to the Arkansan who created the Sharper Image brand. That conversation first aired last September, and we'll hear it again later today. First, Saturday was the final day of the three-day Heartland Challenge in Bentonville. The entrepreneurship competition is sponsored by the University of Arkansas Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation. Ozarks at Large's Anna Pope was there and brings us this report. It's not quite Shark Tank, but it's close. In the final round of competition, teams from the four universities presented pitches of ideas, judges asked questions about business models, and provided feedback. Then, the first through fourth place winners were announced at a banquet Saturday night. After judges listened to nearly three hours of pitching, university teams prepared for the Startup Expo. This event was open to the public and attendees could vote on their favorite company. Uh, so I've been doing this for a really long time, like just under 40 years. And the quality of the plans has just continued to increase over and over. And this competition is really, really tough. And then the way that the students are presenting the plans, the confidence, what they know about the environment is just exceptional. So our job as judges has become really, really complicated. That's M.K. Marsden, and she is a managing partner for Touchpoint Strategies, an investor of early stage companies, and the senior judge of the competition. The Office of Entrepreneurship and Innovation released its 2021 capital scan earlier in the year and found 90% of seed money went to white male founders, and no woman-owned businesses received venture capital funding in Arkansas in 2021. The discrepancies in the study echoed disparities nationally. Marsden says more women are attending and graduating universities and stepping into jobs creating companies. Yeah, I think it starts with our education and then it goes into, you know, starting small businesses and then it's really about us getting more capital into female-run businesses. There are many startup pitch competitions and some of the teams have competed for an investment before, but this is Sam Desari's first time pitching. Desari is the CEO of Mirahart, a company from Johns Hopkins University. The team sought an investment for a remote early detection device for congestive heart failure in children. I think it's just the importance of showing how, how important this need is. Like babies right now have no monitoring for their heart failure. And I think we just need everybody to know that. And even though it might not be the biggest market, it might not be the most appealing investment for main, many people, it is what needs to be addressed today. And I think that's what we wanted to communicate. For Mayor Hart's Chief Technology Officer, Carter Golke, the event wasn't solely for getting startup money. It was also to build a network. Oh, I thought it went great. The amenities here and have been really helpful for everybody in making sure all the teams succeed. And so I thought all the pitches today went great. And even yesterday, um, making sure all 12 teams um, did well and got the feedback that everyone really needs from people who are real experts and, and have done this in the real world. And so it, it's been a great experience. Companies like Mirahart focused on biotechnology. Other teams like Uncle from the University of Arkansas has products like an intelligent bike lock that is installed on existing bike racks. The overall winner of the competition and of $50,000 is Atomics, a startup storing digital data and molecules from Brown University. 
Indoshunt, a company with a device aiming to control internal bleeding from Vanderbilt University, placed second and received $25,000. Mira Hart won third place and a $10,000 prize. And Cathasher, a group with a product intended to wirelessly detect a shunt malfunction in hydrocephalus patients from Clemson University, won fourth place and $5,000. In addition to the overall winners, awards for the Elevator Pitch Competition, Startup Expo, and Cadron Capital Investor Roundtable were also announced Saturday night. For Ozarks at Large in the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio One, I'm Anna Pope. Arkansas Democrats gathered in Fort Smith last weekend to discuss strategy after the recent legislative session, where a Republican supermajority in both chambers passed significant legislation. Josie Lenora, with our partner KUAR, talked with Democratic Party Chair Grant Tennille after he delivered a speech about the state of the party going forward. I'm sitting here with Grant Tennille, the chair of the Arkansas Democratic Party, after their state committee meeting. Thank you so much, Grant, for joining me. Thank you for having me. Conservatives got a lot done during the recent legislative session that I know Democrats don't support. The Learns Bill, they cut taxes, and they also passed the Crime Bill. Um, do you want to talk about your plan to fight that? Well, I, I think that one of the things that's become obvious and apparent is that there are more people who dislike the things that they did during this legislative session than we have counted among our number in the past. So... It, as tough as it is to endure a legislative session like this one, where because of our numbers, we continue to get beaten over and over and over again on substantive issues, it was also somewhat encouraging because all kinds of new people are reaching out to us and saying, I want to learn more about the Democrats. And when you really start to dig in as to why they're interested, it's because they really, really, really dislike a lot of this legislation that was just passed. Learns is is obviously the bell cow. I mean, it's the one that everybody's focused on. Um, but I, I would say that the the public safety um, bill, where we just appear to have decided that we're going to build as many prisons as we have to to lock everybody up for as long as we can, um, ha- has also given a number of people uh, real pause. And and on more than one occasion, I personally have talked to teachers and others who have said, I voted for her. I did not expect this. And I am very disappointed. And you know, those conversations are kind of make the heart of a Democratic Party chair sing a little bit. These voters, did you find them at like the Capitol or did you meet them out in the community? Or are they reaching out to you directly? Mostly at the Capitol um, and at meetings around the Capitol. Um, obviously it wasn't hard to talk to teachers if you wanted to talk to teachers, especially as the learned bill was going through committee, um, because the hallways, the big Mac building and every place else were full of teachers all the time. You talked a little bit in your speech about, uh, needing to convince people who don't agree with you. Is there like a method that you use? No, I I don't really think there's any one method. I, I think the most important thing to do is to talk less and listen more. People will tell you what their concerns are, what their objections are, what their problems or what their perceived problems with the Democratic Party are. And often, if you will listen and truly give them your attention, then they'll give you theirs when you turn around and say, 
okay, I heard you say a couple of things that we've really got to talk about here because that's not what Democratic Party believes. You know, we find over and over and over again, many of our conversations with people who may even agree with us on some issues always come back to guns. And so being able to tell people that the Democratic Party of Arkansas is pro-Second Amendment, that we believe that um, concealed carry as it is designed in Arkansas currently right now is the law and that we're okay with that. Being able to, um, to make that connection with people, to say, you know, look, and I've told people this many times now, I don't want your guns. My gun safe is full. I don't have room for your guns. Often is, is a, a breakthrough moment with some of these folks. Those voters that you're noticing that seem to be more keen on Democratic uh, talking points, is there a plan that you have to cultivate them going forward? Nobody likes going door to door. Nobody likes knocking on the doors of strangers and revealing themselves to be whatever they are. I, I can't imagine there are a lot of Republicans that really like it either. Um, but it's so necessary at this point because the media saturation is beyond total. And at this point, nobody is absolutely convinced of who they're listening to and, and what they're talking about and whether they can be believed. And so we know, particularly when you're talking about getting people to make a big change, they need to make a connection with the human being and have somebody who's willing to answer their questions, to walk them through the process, whatever that might be. Um, and so really and truly, it's it's about direct communication. Now, we can fly over that with radio and mail and all the kinds of things that you want to have out there all the time. But in the end, it's going to come down to people talking to people. You give these very emotional speeches uh, at yeah. Democratic Party meetings. Can you talk about how you prepare for them? You know, I was sitting around for a couple of weeks this time trying to figure out what I wanted to talk about. And I have become um, obsessed with reading about the founders and education. Um, there's a lot of really great material out there because they were incredibly focused. People forget that, you know, the federal government, such as it was at the time, very small, you know, thought that one of the two or three most important things that it needed to do was to establish public education in every state. Um, and I think that we have heard for so many years from Republicans about the founders, the founders this and the founders that and the founders the other thing. Um, they're woefully out of step with where the founders were on the question of public education. There is historical justification for the fight we're waging right now that dates all the way back to the 1750s. Our democracy requires citizens who can engage. And the most certain way that you can guarantee that kind of engagement is to make sure that, you know, as Washington said, that from the youngest ages, that people are, understand the mechanics of our government. And then also beyond the mechanics, understand the intentions. And the more 
that we strip that stuff away, the more we will suffer. And I just want to make sure that the people that I'm responsible for talking to once a quarter really understand what's at stake here. Josie Lenore, by artist Raphael Lozano Hemmer, returns to Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art this spring. On view now through May 28th, this outdoor nighttime interactive experience includes eight immersive installations activated by visitor participation. Listening for us is free for ages 18 and under. Tickets at crystalbridges.org. Governor Sarah Huckabee Sanders is vetoing bills passed by the Arkansas legislature earlier this year. The governor is rejecting Senate Bill 509, which would have upped the stipends for members of the Arkansas Board of Corrections by $25 to $100 each. In a letter explaining her decision, the governor wrote that she made a commitment to the state of Arkansas that she would look for ways to reduce government waste and ensure tax dollars are spent wisely. The governor also vetoed legislation that would establish a heart attack task force, writing that creating such an entity would duplicate an already existing body that's in the Arkansas Health Department. Governor Sanders appeared on KARK's Channel 4's Capitol View to speak about the legislative session that ended earlier this month. Going into the year, one of the governor's priorities was to address the overcrowding in county jails. The legislature did approve $300 million to build a new 3,000-bed prison. The new prison will take about three to five years to build. In the meantime, Governor Sanders says there are possible solutions to address the overcrowding until then. Well, one of the things that we've done and that I tasked Secretary Perfury with was what can we do with the existing space that we have? And he's already found and identified 500 new spaces so that we can alleviate some of the pressure at the county jail level. So we are looking at opening up those slots here over the next couple of weeks and months. Until the new prison is built, Governor Sanders says it is possible that prisoners could be transferred to out-of-state facilities. Another option being considered is using the Emergency Powers Act, which allows the governor to grant early parole for prisoners. The governor also says there is a chance there could be a special session later this year to focus on Medicaid. Certainly possible that we could have a special, um, not 100 percent. I don't want to just go in without a plan, and that's what we're working on right now, working with our partners in the legislature to see uh, what the best path forward is and how we address some of the the cost and have a bit more cost containment and look for long-term sustainability because that's what we need when it comes to our Medicaid program, and it's certainly not the path that we're on right now. So we're, we're digging deep, and that's a big priority for us over the next several months. Governor Sanders says she and her team are in an assessment process to identify which parts of Medicaid a possible special session might address. Arkansas Razorback runner Britton Wilson made the most of her first 400 meters race of the year. This weekend at the Tom Jones Memorial in Gainesville, Florida, she ran a world-leading time of 53.23 seconds. That's the third best collegiate time ever recorded. Her personal best is even faster by 15 hundredths of a second, but that was recorded at the United States Track and Field Championships last summer outside of the collegiate season window. The number 5 Arkansas Razorbacks baseball team swept the number 16 Tennessee Volunteers over the weekend with a 7-2 win to cap off the series yesterday. They now hold sole possession of first place in the SEC West standings above number 1 LSU. 
The Razorbacks will conclude their six-game homestand at Baumwalker Stadium with a matchup against Central Arkansas on Tuesday night. And the number 11 Razorbacks softball team swept in their home series as well, defeating the University of Alabama-Birmingham in three games at Bogle Park. Arkansas hosts Texas A&M Commerce Tuesday at 4 p.m., then head to Lexington, Kentucky for a three-game series against number 16 Kentucky beginning on Friday. Well, I'm so excited about the Internet. To me, it's really just an unbelievable new thing to do that everybody's enjoying. And even though it's in its infancy, the next five years we'll see tremendous changes in shopping online. All right, Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Who was that amazing person who knew what the Internet was going to do? Well, uh, his name is Richard Tallheiber. And chances are you've never heard of him. Until you sent me the perspective for what we were talking about this week, I had never heard of him. Right, right. And and I met him back in 1999 when we did that interview. Um, he uh, He's from Arkansas. That's why we're doing this profile. He Little Rock native, right? Grew up in Little Rock, went to Hall High School, my alma mater, and uh, a few years before me. But... Uh, Grew up and in the retail business, which you'll hear about here in a little bit, but he created and developed the Sharper Image, which back in the 80s and 90s and even the early 2000s was huge. Oh, huge. It was synonymous with going to the mall. That's true. And, and cool. catalogs. Yeah, Being and cool. cool. Right, right. Uh, they had really great slick catalogs yeah but um you know he he grew up in little rock moved out to san francisco and started this company and when i was with ktv we were going out to california to do a, a, another story and i knew about richard tallheimer and had heard about him and we set it up so we could spend a day with him while we were in san francisco and um well, Justin Akery was the reporter, Scott Munsell was the photographer, and we went out and uh, spent the day. It was the first brick-and-mortar store that he had hmm. and the corporate headquarters, and we got to hang out with him. But uh, Justin Akery asked him about how he got started. Uh, well, starting the Sharper Image was sort of an accident. I came out here after I got out of college. I uh, had a great time in San Francisco, decided I wanted to try a mail order ad because I heard the mail order was an interesting way to start a business, and it worked. So the first ad led me to other ads in magazines, and that led to a catalog, and that led to stores. And what was that first first product? <laughs> well, the first product was a runner's watch that you used uh, when you were running, like jogging. Mm -hmm. It was real successful. And this is something you developed? Well, actually, I found the first digital chronograph that was waterproof that was suitable for runners, and that was a big deal back in 1977. Richard, and how is it said again? Talmeyer? Tallheimer. Tallheimer. Tallheimer yeah. is and, our subject this well, week. Well, and he was talking about a runner's watch. Which now are ubiquitous, but they weren't around forever. Right. I mean, that was, the, I guess, the, the precursor for uh, uh, an Apple watch. Right. It didn't, of course, do all that stuff, right. but it was a digital watch. This is late 70s. Yeah. That he, uh, he put that on the market, and that's what you know, made the company. Um, so Sharper Image, it was these slick catalogs and high-tech kind of, 
I don't know, off-the-wall products that, that you could get. Those unique products made him a millionaire. Right. So um, here he talks to us about just some of his other products. Well, we're known for unusual products. For example, the massage chair that we sell for $3,000 is the world's best experience of an easy chair in your living room that really gives you great massages, three different kinds. But we also make some really interesting practical products. Like last year, we invented the world's first portable air conditioner that you wear on your neck, sort of like a little neck band, and that keeps you cool in the summertime. That's only $39, but it's been really successful. So it's a wide range of products. <laughs> the neck coolers. Neck coolers. I remember seeing those in the Sharper well, Image catalog. I, right, and I think they're still around. I think you're right, I mean, yeah. People still wear those things. And then there's all kinds of forms of massage chairs. Right. Now, the one he was selling for three grand. Three grand and 99. Right. Yeah. And, but it was a full um, wooden, nicely crafted and leather chair. It wasn't just a mat you know, you right. can get those right. for a hundred bucks now, right. but he he had um, those really high end products and ones that you would kind of just say, "Wow, <laughs> where did they come up with that?" Right, and a lot of them really really worked well. He took us around the store, and you could tell, man, was he a salesman. This is the world's first pet brush that washes your dog while you brush. You turn this on, it generates uh, ozone and ions, which removes odor and kills germs. You can sort of smell. Yeah. It smells real clean. Mm -hmm. And as you brush the dog, it actually makes the dog smell good. It makes the fur of the dog smell good. Mm -hmm. So we invented this. It's Sharper Image Design. And it's been a real popular item. That's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> I need see. I want one for my dog. Yeah. You need one for your dog. Daisy would love that. Yes. Uh, he strikes me as, and I don't mean this as an insult to the late Ron Popeil, but you remember Ron Popeil, yes. the pocket fisherman. Oh, and, sure. But this isn't like seven steps above that. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, higher. Higher uh, end. Yes. Right. And, uh, clientele. Higher right. clientele. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, he he he's not with the company more. Actually, the company doesn't exist anymore not really it, no no and we'll get into that yeah. later and how all that happened but um i caught up with him last week and not only talked to him about that but talked to him about how he made the transition uh from catalog to internet and this is a really interesting story yeah well so when steve jobs left apple he started a company called next computer and Next originally was a piece of hardware, but then that didn't sell well, so he transitioned into software. And so then he his first big customer for his software was the launch of the Sharper Image Online web store. Well, if you're going to pick someone to help you make the transition... He's in good company. <laughs> yes. Steve Jobs. Wow. You know, he's, of course, they were out there at the same time. Right. You know. And, you know, he was in between gigs. <laughs> wow. In between Apple right. gigs. And he was, you know, developing software and he designed their website. Wow. Yeah, that's that's pretty cool. So let's jump back because uh, we had a blast going through it the store like it. with him. It, it was a lot of fun. And he even, uh, you know, was demonstrating some of his products. 
but um, he was giving some really good sales pitches. Here's something that was really unique back then, but is common today. This is a little motorized scooter. Yeah, you just plug this in to recharge it. Just a regular outlet. Yep. And uh, it goes 12 miles an hour. It's totally silent. No maintenance ever. What a great product. <laughs> yeah, that's neat. I mean, to, go, to go shopping or you can go about 50 miles on a charge. Oh, really? So just to run errands like, you know, from the studio down to pick up sandwiches and come back or something. What a great old product. What's this run for? Uh, $700. You can't, you know, call the hogs in Fayetteville without seeing See, a scooter. That's right. And he was selling them for $700. He even got on it and rode it around the, the store. I've got to ask you, because going back 23 years, when you're talking to him about the Internet during this report and, and you're hearing about these scooters and the other thing, what did you think? Did you think, I'm looking at the future, or did you just think this is interesting and who knows what will happen? Um, I think it was a little bit of both. Okay. Um, I was talking to Justin Acre, the reporter, mm-hmm. uh, the other day, and I said, what do you remember about uh, that story, and he said, I remember really annoying Richard Tallheimer by calling his uh, products off the wall, uh-huh. and that kind of annoyed him. But I looked back at the at the field tapes, mm-hmm. and he, and yeah, Justin said that a lot. He kept saying <laughs> off the wall, and I remember kind of going, okay, okay, <laughs> bring it down a right, little bit, Justin. Right. But uh, well, had we had a good young. time with him. He had to be, Justin had to be pretty young. Yes, he, he hadn't been at the station very long. Okay. Um, and, yeah, we went out there and covered another story while we're there that I hope that uh, we'll be able to do a segment on uh, that we did up in Northern California oh, okay. that I'll, I'll tell you about. Okay. Uh, you also um, – during this report, he, he mentioned his love of toys. Yes, he did. And, um, yeah, let's hear what he says about that. You name it. I just uh, I like gadgets, and I like grown-up toys, and I like small toys. So that's a lot what the Sharper Image is about. When you were a kid, did you, did you look to develop things? Did you have any ideas? Did you say, wow, you know, I can do this if I put these two things together? Were you creative like that when you were younger? Well, I was very lucky. When I was like 10 to 12 years old, I worked in the toy department of the department store that used to be called Gus Blass and is now a Dillard's. And my father was running the toy department. So I got to learn what people liked and how they played with toys. And I really think from that, the Sharper Image was born. All right, you mentioned earlier, he's not with Sharper Image anymore. And Sharper Image, I think, exists somewhere on paper, but it's not what it was all right. those years ago. Right, it basically went went belly up. But there there was one thing that really kind of started the whole snowball that that was the demise of the sharper image and it a matter of fact uh during that 1999 tour it was a new product that they had on the floor and he was very excited about it and he showed it to us is this one of the silent Air? Yeah, this is the totally silent air purifier. And you said it doesn't have any, any motors at all? There's no motors, work? nothing to replace ever, and yet air is moving. This is, oh, this is ionic too, kind of the same concept uh-huh. as this, this deal. And so all you do is you plant these rods here. You can see how much this one's been running for a week or two, and it's picked up all this junk on it because oh. it's constantly cleaning the air, mm-hmm. and it's doing it totally silently, and you never have to replace the filter ever. With most air filters, like this Honeywell, for example, 
you've got to buy $100 worth of filters every year and go to a lot of work to change them. Here's a product that not only is it silent, and it moves air, but you never have to buy a filter. It's hmm. a great product. The Ionic Breeze, which did create um, some problems. In fact, you know, I was doing a little bit of research getting ready for this, yeah. and there was a there was a conflict with Consumer Reports oh, over this. Oh, big one. They, um, they did a review. Uh, this was in 2003, so just a few years right. after we were there, and they had introduced it because it sold really well. And then Consumer Reports did... Uh, a, a testing of air purifiers, mm -hmm. and it wound up last on the list. And they even said that their test showed that um, it released uh, dangerous ozone. Uh, right. Or, or, or hazardous ozone levels could be released, I think, is what they said. Yes. Yeah. Well, and so... Uh, sharper image sued specifically yeah richard talheimer sued and the case was dismissed so that was another uh black eye they even turned around and um did another report on more about mm -hmm. the the questionable uh healthiness of of these products right yeah so um Sales and profits started to go down in the, you know, the later 2000s, mid-2000s. And so some new investors came in on the board, and uh, they ousted Tallheimer. And this is, I asked him about that. So I left uh, the Sharper Image in 2006, and that was sort of an unpleasant fight with an activist shareholder group that had bought 12% of the company. Uh -huh. And I still own 21% of the company. So I gave them two seats of our nine on the board, and then we didn't get along at all. So they wanted me to leave, and I was sort of ready to leave after 37 years. So they uh -huh. agreed to buy the remaining 21% of the stock. And so they paid me off in May of 2007, the remaining 21%. I was out of the company completely. And then they went bankrupt eight months later. That was crazy. So they buy out his shares. He's done. Yeah. And he uh, walked out with, you know, 21% of the company's cash or what they paid right. him for. And uh, he took the money and ran and left them with all of those problems. Yeah. Um, the bad publicity and, uh, you know, he, they were having some class action suits, I believe, uh, brought against them. But uh, he went on to say what ended up happening to the company after he left. So they closed 200 stores. They laid off 4,000 employees. I took the money and started pursuing something I'd always loved, which was investing. And I call it the Sharper Fund, even though it's a private fund. And it's done terrific. You can visit the website, thesharperfund.com, and see that five-year performance. But it's just done terrific. So? He uh, kind of laughed all the way to the bank, yeah, I think. Yeah, I guess. I yeah. mean, in less than a year, uh, they filed for bankruptcy. Yeah, like nine months, I think he said. Yeah, yeah nine or ten yeah. months. So, um, you know, you can still check out his products. I mean, the, the fun that he does is... 
you know, it's a private fund. He right. just does that. He, and he said he spends about six hours a day hmm. uh, just handling his investments. And it, he said he's making more money than he did when he owned Sharper Image just with his private investing. But you can still get a little taste of the Sharper Image uh, ideas because he has another website now. And it's called Richard Solo. Dot com, I guess aptly named. Right. But, you know, he has, uh, you know, a few dozen items on there. I've looked at it. It's it's a good-looking website, and they're, they're really similar products that you would see in the original catalog or website. So when I left Sharper Image, I had this sort of little fantasy that I would start a little company online selling unusual products, sort of like when I started the Sharper Image. So I still have it. It's still online at richardsolo.com, but it's really a hobby. It's not a business. I wish it were a business, but what I found is that with Amazon selling everything and with me not having enough volume to create products from scratch like I did at Sharper Image, I just can't compete uh, by buying other people's products with the fact that everything in the world is available on Amazon. So it, I still have it. It's a nice little hobby. I've got about five employees, and we keep plugging away. But it's a hobby. My my time is spent six hours a day on following my investments. It's interesting. We started this with a you know his comment, his 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 insight into what the internet was going to be, and here you were talking to him twenty three years later, and uh, the internet's turned, you know, he said, "Yeah, I can't compete with Amazon because right. Amazon is this behemoth," and and it's just. Interesting that you brought it full circle there. Well, and I asked him, um, so when you had your website and your catalogs, were you Amazon before Amazon? He said, no, Sears and Roebuck mm. was Amazon before Amazon. Because they, they were, yeah. you know, the king of, of catalogs. But, you know, then Interesting. Amazon took the net. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did he remember that day? Did you ask him if he remembered when you guys were there? And you know, I'd never yeah. asked him, but he he got back with me right away. Right. So I think he probably did, or at least was glad to talk to somebody from Arkansas. Right. And I've found that um, in going back on some of these stories, a lot of people do remember, or if they don't remember at first when we start talking mm -hmm. about it, it jogs their memory, and that it helps that I'll. And, you know, you can do this now. I'll just email them sure. a video copy oh, of, of the story. Of course. Now yeah. that I'm digitizing everything. Yeah. So it's it's a lot of fun to be able to find something from 23 years ago and email it to somebody. Well, you asked him about Arkansas 23 years ago. That's right. And um, this is what he had to say. You know, one of the things I really believe helped my success was growing up in Little Rock and spending my first 18 years in Arkansas and having a really good grounding. It taught me a lot of what different people want across a wide spectrum of uh, people. And it also gave me really good values of just treating people fairly and uh, being a decent person. So I tried to transition into my business the same values. Well, Randy, thank you. I, I love the ones when it's about someone I think most of our listeners know about, but I also love the ones when it's introducing us to someone that very few of us had ever heard of. It's a lot of fun. And I get to look back, you know, I take a little walk down memory lane and revisit part of my career back in the day. So 
I still marvel that KATV sent three people out. I mean, you know, last week we talked about going to the North Pole. Right. Or the Arctic Circle. And, and, and they spent a lot of money. They did. And that was one thing KATV was committed to is that um, we would go and do stories that the other stations wouldn't. You know, the one thing that it had to have is an Arkansas connection. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, the station didn't mind spending the resources to be able to, to say, we can bring you what the others can't. Right. And it's interesting. Yeah. It's, well, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Well, and we're all benefiting from it. You know, well, thanks. Two and a half decades later or whatever. <laughs> That's great. Hey, I'm just dusting it off. I appreciate and, it. And, hey, queuing it back up. <laughs> all right. You'll be back next week? Absolutely. 17-time Grammy winner Sting makes his first ever appearance at the Walmart Amp on the My Songs Tour, October 12th. Sting will perform hits from The Police as well as his solo career, including Roxanne, Fields of Gold, Every Breath You Take, and more. Tickets are on sale now at amptickets.com. This is Ozarks at Large. Tomorrow night, the Fayetteville Public Library will screen an Academy Award-winning documentary, period. End of sentence. The film examines how many are unable to have access or afford menstrual products. The film will be followed by a roundtable discussion that will concentrate on menstrual products and access to them. Last week, two of the organizers of tomorrow night's event came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio. Dina Benbrahim will moderate the roundtable and is an assistant professor of graphic design at the University of Arkansas. And Heather Robido is the manager of adult services at the Fayetteville Public Library. Dina Benbrahim says she wanted the film and the roundtable conversation to be free and available to as many people as possible. At the beginning, I was just um, analyzing what was happening at the university. Um, So I just noticed multiple dispensers that were coin-operated. They had the tiny little sticker on them that said free, um, but they were really hard to operate. Um, Some of them were rusty, some of them were dirty, some of them were, you know, just not operational at all, not functional. And so this is where little things started in my mind. Um, And then over the course of doing some research and having my research assistant, uh, Kayla Spare, um, help me do that and gather primary research, we ended up contacting the Fayetteville Public Library. And um, one thing that I feel was really special about it is that it's a public space that could be uh, accessible for all. So it's kind of, I wouldn't say neutral, there's nothing neutral, but at least it's a hub for everybody. And certainly supports, you know, access, our mission for access, for resources and information. It's the same thing. It's the same thing, access to information and to the resources. We're going to have the screening of the film. Yes. This is an Oscar winner. Yes, it is. I believe it was uh, 2018, I believe. That's what will start the the April 18th evening mm-hmm. is the screening. Mm-hmm. And the roundtable will then follow. Let's talk about the, the folks who's, who are on the roundtable because it's a pretty – you're going to be moderating a pretty good group of people here, aren't mm-hmm. you? Uh, yeah, Monica Hutchinson with Flow Free Foundation, uh, Jacqueline Johnson, uh, an RN, uh, Rivers Nicholas, uh, president of the UA's SHU, S-H-O-O, the Sexual Health Outreach Organization, and April Roy, founder and CEO of FEMPAC. 
Who do you hope will be there on, on Tuesday, April 18th? Anyone. I mean, it's, our programs are available to anybody. And it's certainly for people who are looking for more, more resources, people who might have the need. But it's also a topic people often just don't think about. Um, you, you know, half, half the country menstruates. It's or just, a little bit more than half, I think. Well, yeah, yeah it is right. a little bit more. So it's, it's, it's not... It's not uh, a luxury. This is this is just a reality, and it's uh, it's something that people have been uncomfortable to talk about. Um, and you know, it's it's not something that's shameful. It's not anything. It's just a fact of life. And if people don't have access to the resources or the physical hygiene products, then then they can come here, find more. And, and find access to those products without, without shame or embarrassment or all of the other things that might come into that. Because without that, uh, you, you're, people miss out. They, you know, they feel embarrassed. It often can lead, if that is a resource that you cannot generally have, mm-hmm. if you're ch- making a choice between rent or food, this is going to come in down the down the list, and you're going to miss out on. You can miss out on school. You can miss out on work. You can miss out on just life activities, and that builds emotional and social barriers as well. So we're trying to take those down and make it a space where people can come and they don't have to worry about that. Um, I would say half of the work is education and um, people who need that education and feel that they need a space to talk about menstruation or need to learn more, I think, are the folks who I hope would be there. I would also hope that some folks from, um, like, policymakers could Mm -hmm. be there. Um, Fun fact, uh, there was a House Bill 1065 that was filed on December 31st, 2020, to exempt period uh, products from sale. Um, from sales tax, and it died in the House committee uh, on October 15, 2021. Um, and like Heather mentioned, they're not luxury products, and they're taxed as luxury products like, you know, makeup would be. Mm-hmm. And this is not something that, you know, like so many people needed, and it's a necessity. Actually, there is, you talk to us about films, you ask us about a movie, there is... Um, a movie, uh, 20th Century Women, um, that there is this scene, it's really iconic. There is Abby, this, you know, uh, woman who is menstruating and she's in a dinner table just, you know, laying her face down on the table and her mother uh, or someone says, you know, like, what's going on? And she's like, I'm just menstruating, you know? And her mother responds uh, something like, why do you have to say it? And, you know, she's just defending menstruation. She's like, well, what's the big deal about it? Like, I menstruate, everybody menstruates, you know, who's menstruating? So what's the big deal? Like, just you say it. Say, I menstruate. And then she goes to, like, everybody in the dinner table to say menstruation, you know, to just, you know, remove this stigma from it. So I guess part of the work is also just reminding people that menstruation is 100%, you know, Natural. Like, yeah. It's a natural process. It's, natural, but it's just what it is. I mean, yeah. Normalized talking mm-hmm. about menstruation. Yeah. And I, I think it's something that, like, again, a lot of people just aren't thinking about it at this 
people are very good about thinking about poverty in housing and poverty in food, but it doesn't trickle down to this level because it doesn't affect the entire population. So it's just not something that connects. And and with with a lot of people, if you are privileged enough to not have to worry about that, it's it's not necessarily something you think about. You know, there are so many layers to this to this health crisis because that's what it is. One, it's, you know, this idea that it's a luxury product, which it's not, you know. The second one is uh, gender discrimination. Uh, So really thinking in terms of genders um, rather than just one category. Um, And then, uh, you know, what comes in the policy making, um, it's it's this uh, tension between making money you know, versus um, responding to a health crisis. Um, yes, it's uh, it's quite a sad issue on top of cultural taboos and just discriminatory social norms. If people want to know more? They, they can contact the Fayetteville Public Library, our website, uh, faylib.org. Uh, the event is on our calendar with a description and a, dis- a little more detailed description of our roundtable participants. And you can always give the library a call, and we'd be happy to give you any, any information or answer any additional questions you might have. Heather Robido is the manager of adult services at the Fayetteville Public Library, and Dina Benbrahim is an assistant professor of graphic design at the University of Arkansas. Dina will moderate tomorrow night's roundtable discussion after the screening of the film, period, end of sentence. Tomorrow's event will be at the Fayetteville Public Library. It starts at 6. It's free and open to the public. Sona, the Symphony of Northwest Arkansas, concludes its season Saturday, April 29th at Walton Arts Center with Evoking Folklore, performing works by Jared Tate, Manuel de Fala, and Aaron Copeland, each a storytelling of folklore, from traditional Spanish stories to Chickasaw Nation tales and classic Americana. Tickets at sonamusic.org. Tomorrow on Ozarks at Large, Ozarks at Large's Daniel Carruth reports on a revised distribution of money generated by medical marijuana sales in Arkansas. And later this week, Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich talks with librarians about their approach to legislation passed this winter assessing penalties if certain materials get into the wrong hands. Those are two of the stories you'll hear this week on Ozarks at Large every weekday at noon and at 7 and through the free Ozarks at Large podcast. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansas. I was born in the wagon of a traveling show. My mama had to dance for the money they throw. Mama would do whatever he could. Preach a little gospel. Sell a couple bottles of Dr. Good. After years of researching Arkansas music and musicians, Arkansas is confident in the state's outsized role in the American musical vernacular. It's also why we're secure enough to present a few of a surprising number of musical legends who are almost Arkansasers themselves. Many take Grammy, Emmy, and Academy Award-winning performer Cher's 1973 number one song, Half Breed, literally, that she is of Native American ancestry. In fact, her father was Armenian-American, and her actress, model mother, Jackie Jean Crouch, was born in 1927 in Kensett in White County. Crouch, also known as Georgia Holt, was taught to play guitar by her father. She sang with Bob Wills and appeared on I Love Lucy. 
Friendly with Amon Erdogan, the head of Atlantic Records, she told him about Cher, but he wasn't interested. Ironically, Sonny and Cher did sign to Atlantic, and after I Got You Babe became an international smash, she got to tell Erdogan, I told you so. In 2013, the Arkansas and her daughter appeared in the documentary Dear Mom, Love Cher. Grandma's maiden name was on the lines And there's 90 years to tell about in a few short lines Born in Newton County, down in Arkansas Country music legend Merle Haggard's grandfather, John Bohannon Harp, was born in Harrison, and his grandmother, Martha Frances Arizona Bell Valines Harp, was from Beechwood in Newton County. Their daughter, Merle's mother, was also born in Harrison. Merle recorded Grandma Harp in 1972 about his Arkansas roots. <laughs> Multiple Grammy winner Robert McFerrin Jr. is better known as Bobby McFerrin. He's also known for his polyphonic vocal stylings and scat singing in the jazz, classical, and pop worlds, culminating in the 1988 worldwide smash Don't Worry, Be Happy, the first ever a cappella number one hit in the United States. His dad, Robert Keith McFerrin Sr., was born 1921 in Mariana in Lee County and has his own strong musical legacy as a gospel vocalist, as an operatic baritone, and a vocal teacher. He died in 2006. Miles Davis Sr. and Miles Davis Jr. were both born and lived in Jefferson County, Arkansas, while Miles Davis III, the jazz trumpeter of renown, was born in Alton, Illinois and grew up in East St. Louis, Illinois. But the Davis family continued to own its large farm near Pine Bluff for decades, and young Miles III frequently returned to the Davis homestead in Arkansas. Born in 1898, Miles' dad was a dentist who attended what is now the University of Arkansas at Pine Bluff, as well as Arkansas Baptist College in Little Rock. Miles Davis Jr. also was a champion hog breeder and ran for a seat in the Illinois legislature. Indiana-born Michael Jackson, who died in 2009, called himself the king of pop. And that may have been true. His album Thriller is the best-selling album of all time, and he remains a global icon. His father, Joseph Walter Jackson, was born in 1928 in Fountain Hill in Ashley County in South Arkansas and was himself a guitarist. But Joe Jackson's true legacy is inspiring and managing the incredibly talented and successful Jackson family. He was not only Michael's father and manager, but also of the brother group that preceded Michael, the Jackson Five, and the solo careers of Jackie, Tito, Jermaine, Marlon, and Randy, and daughters Rebby, Latoya, and Janet. Each in this diverse collection of artists altered the American musical landscape, and each has their own Arkansas connection. Here in its entirety is Merle Haggard's 1972 number one single about his Arkansas family connections, Grandma Harp. Grandma Harp 
Grandma's maiden name was on the lines There's 90 years to tell about in a few short lines Born in Newton County, down in Arkansas Then in 1901 she married Grandpa We later sold the rest on Sunday morning And everybody knew she'd done her part don't get set to hear no hidden family legend Just a song about the life of Grandma Hart Just think about the times that she lived through And to think about the changing world she saw Now somehow she reared a decent family out of poverty And for 70 years she loved the same old Grandpa to me, her passing brought a closing chapter To a way of life that I loved within my heart I just mean to say I think we owe her something special If just a song about the life of Grandma Hart Grandma's maiden name was on the lines And there's 90 years to tell about in a few short lines Born in Newton County, down in Arkansas Then in 1901 she married Grandpa We laid her soul to rest one Sunday morning And everybody knew she'd done her part Don't get set to hear no hidden family legend Just a song about the life of Grandma Hart Grandma Harp, Merle Haggard's number one single about his Arkansas family connections from 1972. It's another song of Arkansas. From Little Rock, I'm Stephen Cook with Arkansongs. Arkansongs is a production of Experiment Station Studios. Producer is Keith Merks. Arkansongs, since 1998. This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Eureka Springs, and Boonville. Contributors today included Anna Pope, Josie Lenora, Stephen Cook, and Randy Dixon. Further help came from our colleagues at KUAR. Matthew produced today's show inside the Bruce and Ann Applegate News Studio 2 at the Carver Center for Public Radio. I'm Kyle Kellums. I'm Matthew Moore. We'll be back with you tomorrow at noon and 7.